know what's the difference between a hooker and a drug dealer? What? A hooker can wash her crack afterwards and resell it. Ha ha. 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 You kill me. What is the, uh, uh, did it, did it, the, uh, did the FBI kill, kill Alf after? Did we establish that Alf met his demise? It was left open. Okay. Like, like his chest carity. Anyways. Ha! I'm being autopsied. (laughs) Nicely done. You kill me. Now. Now, what is the difference between a hooker and your job? No, no, you, your hooker, your job is a hooker. So let's try that Whoopsie again. Whoopsie daisies. <laughs> what is the difference Dying is between easy. your job and a dead hooker? What? Uh, your job still sucks. Ah. Waka, waka, waka. <laughs> Welcome to Carnival Personnel. I'm Jacques. Hi, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> oh wait, that's Bert. I went from Fozzie to Bert. Here's my impersonation. I have three voices. Okay. I have Bert. <laughs> I have Fozzie. Ah. And I have Ray Romano. Oh. <laughs> hey, okay. that's that's pretty good. There you go. The Fozzie, the Fozzie was pretty pretty right. Pretty dead, that, right. That. I know my, my my Bert really does uh, blow. No, see, well, you know, that, that's you. That's you. I, I say, hey, no. this impression is great. And you immediately go, yeah, because that one sucked. You know, no. They, no, I mean, he blows. He's gay. Like, you he's know a, what? That's no. how I interpret it's him. A, he's not gay. Ernie is. He keeps his eyes open. He pretends he doesn't like it. How can, like, Are they children? <laughs> I forget now. Are they Because they live alone. I think they're adults. They Yeah. I think they're adults. But like one is mo- childlike. And they, you know, they have the they have the I love Lucy twin bed set in the room. Thank God. You, you I mean, what did you put? What do you want them to have the king size? So yes. Yeah, okay. I don't want them to have either. Like I mean, we've talked about gay puppets way too long right now, or allegedly I'll gay let, puppets. Who knows? You know. Uh, anyways, how are you, Joe? Oh, I'm fine. This is Carnival Personnel, and uh, we are. Uh, yeah, we're gonna skip a lot. It's not the best week here here in the great city of Boston. Uh, we won't even get into why it's not. We'll just say it's not and move on to happier times. Uh, so as of this posting, we are just four days away from Dan Crane Beyond It playing with the Rationales at um, Sally O'Brien's in Somerville. Um, I just this week um, got a cassette recorder. That's meant to make a. Excuse me. You can plug it into your computer and make digital copies of cassettes, which is great because uh, I think recently I found like twenty old id tapes and stuff like that. Cool. First tape that I just pulled out of the thing was from a show June sixth, like like a week ago, a week a week ago from today. Who cares? Minus 13 <laughs> years, or 23 years. Either way. Wait a second. Stephen Hawking couldn't figure out that formula you just yeah. laid out. What uh, are you talking about? We what played, date we was played it? it June 6, 1996. We played at The Rap. Wow. And it's it's just an audio cassette, but I know you were part of the show because you were playing. Uh, was I playing bass? You were playing guitar, ah. actually. Um, and, and you were got. And seriously, when you you know when I when I finally get a chance to figure out how to make it work in the digital space, 
you truly got the bigger round of applause after each and every song. Uh, when Dan would say, you know, you know, Joe Lorenco, it's like, you know, it's seriously, you you brought the house down. Woohoo. Uh, do you remember that, that rap so, show? I think so. Are you blaming me for the rat being closed? I, I brought the you house. Brought the house like, that was down. literally the last show that played at the Rat's Keller. I think that was that or TT the Bears were my two favorite places to play. I remember T. I played at TTs with you, you guys. And and seriously, it, you know this is this is when you know I feel like uh, the beginning of Spinal Tap when he's like you know I saw him in the East Village at a club whatever he's like don't look for it it's not there anymore. All of my favorite clubs that we used to play at are gone from you know Bun Ratties. Uh, do you remember Edible Rex in Barica? Um, there was right mm. off Route Three. I know the right strip by. club in Bill Um Is that still there? I don't even know. Uh, but yeah, but Edible Rex, TT the Bears. The only one still there the is is the Middle East. Yeah. yeah. Um, so TT's was yeah TT's is gone. Huh? TT's is yeah. right. And and it's funny because I was watching a documentary on uh, Gary Hart, the um, the drummer, songwriter, singer. You know, one of the singers, songwriters for Who's Could Do, the, the the great band from like the late seventies and early eighties. Um, not the congressman Gary. Not Hart. the congressman Gary Hart. Uh, presidential candidate Gary Hart. Um, oh, trying to think of the name of his mistress, Chandra Levy. Thank. You. Look at you. It wasn't a mistress. It was one of his her assistants. There was a legend affair. Her body was found. They actually determined it wasn't him. Ah, but uh, yeah, that whole scandal got swept up by nine eleven. Oh, that's why it didn't like you know faster more exactly right. So nine eleven happened. And he got off, whatever the the focus was taken off him. But he was a, like a legit candidate in eighty eight. Yeah. Like he made an appearance on Cheers. Yes, and and I remember it's like the, he there's picture on the boat with her sitting on his lap. And that's actually a good documentary. The, there's a the Gary Hart documentary that came out a while ago, and then oh the Hugh Jackman movie about Gary Hart came out like last year. Uh, I forget. I think the the contender or something like that. I forget what it was called. But uh, I'd rather talk about that Gary Hart than the other Gary Hart from Husker Du. Well, but that Gary Hart from Husker Du watched the documentary. It's like there was lots of footage from him playing at TG the Bears, and I was like, oh man, it was just made me nostalgic. Anyway, Dan and I and, and and the professor will be playing with Dave Marabella and the Rationales next Friday, and it's great because. We we had our weekly rehearsal. Everybody showed up on time. Everybody, you know, uh, which was which was great. And Dave Marabella had earlier that day said, "Hey, can I sit in on a couple songs with you guys?" Which was great because before Sean came back to the fold, Dave on a regular basis before the rationale, Sean Keneally, the bass player from Beyond It, of course, the, the professor. Um, but Dave would sit on with us for years every time we would come back here and play. So it, it's great. I did specify, and this is always a concern that Dave and I have had letting Dave play with us. Um, he's good. <laughs> and, uh, and, right. and he knows the songs better than we do. And I'm not kidding. There's been so many times when, you know, getting ready to play a song, Dan's like, oh, is, does it go here, here? And, and, and Maribel's <laughs> like, no, it's more this. You know, but it is. We're, we're looking forward to it. So we sit in the set list and like... Come up the second half. Start the whole show with us. End the show. Whatever you want to do, Dave. I mean, and again, it's like 
we talk about a lot. I hate leaving the house. Uh, I like to go see the rationale. So it's really great when we get to play together for a couple reasons. One, his brother, who's a great drummer, has a really nice drum set that he brings and sets up. And I just buy him some beer and I get to use it. And I, you know, don't have to do anything except walk in with the drumsticks. And I'll offer to help set it up and take it down. But some people are very precise in what they do and how they like things set up. And I'm not. So it's, it's kind of like, like when I you know, offer to pay for dinner. I like reach right. for my wallet, but I, I reach for the pocket that the wallet's not even in. Well, right. <laughs> but you put on a good show. Exactly. You know? Right. I make that hollow offer and uh, hopefully you don't call me on it. <laughs> so, so that, that is next Friday. And you know, that, that is probably the one thing that is keeping me from going to the rickety stool and rope store. So, so a couple things before we get into, you know, the big topic for you this week. Um, I've had it recently suggested to check out the podcast. Have you heard uh, the Canadian comedian Dave, Dave Hill? Hill? <laughs> Have you? Yes. And, and uh, what is it? History's Fluffer? I don't know about his show, but I know of him. He has a show called like History's Fluffer. And essentially, it's just him telling stories with two co-hosts or kind of asking questions about it, and which... He was part of the Apollo moon landing. He was a real driving force behind Apple being created. And it's pretty awesome. Okay. It, it's, it sounds ridiculous. A bit high concept. But it's great. Okay. But, but, I mean, they're kind of poking holes in a story, but at the same time, you know. Um, it's kind of like a Forrest Gump approach where he has brushes with history. Or, no, he's like legitimately. Legitimately. And, 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 how, like, and how Neil Armstrong conned him into, oh, wait, we need, we need your backpack before we go on the moon. All right. So I went to get my backpack, and that's when he jumped out <laughs> and was the first man on the moon. And then Buzz Aldrin, and the story goes on. It's like, well, then they ran out of time, and they promised, well, you know, we're going to become back all the time and you're great at space so <laughs> so you're going to be coming here all the time and stuff like and they're 40 minute stories oh about God. and the same thing about how he created apple you know and you go sound like you know how steve Wozniak was um he was a smart guy i'm not saying he wasn't i'm just saying a lot of the ideas he came up with came from our conversations when we were playing um beer pong one day and i'm like hey i've been an apple and i'm like wouldn't this be great for a logo for something one day it's like but but you're you're only 38 how would you know how would you don't do the math you know don't do the math but it is it, uh, i i you know so of course and dave hill dave hill apparently uh killer a uh, guitarist oh because there's yeah they, they have lots of guitar interests probably just him yeah you know doing it you know, because there's not there's nothing more we like to do than promote other podcasts, and then of course Please. Conan o Conan O'Brien needs a friend, which you told me about the other day. Now, at a moment of 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 darkness, you gave me a little shining light, knowing that I won't be able to listen to terrestrial radio or TV for the next three months. So you're like, hey, Conan has this new podcast. It's very well done. It starts off like the earlier episodes. He he has this air about him where. He doesn't have a sense of humor, and he takes things very literally, and you know he doesn't laugh a lot in his first few episodes. But then he they they must have spoken to him like, "Hey, the audience likes it when you laugh at the jokes," and so he, then he becomes more comfortable. Come on, these are the jokes, <laughs> exactly. So he does amazing uh, interviews with like Stephen Colbert. 
the Howard Stern interview was really good. Yes, Conan O'Brien needs a friend is a must listen. The latest episode, Martin Short. We are going to do a Martin Short sideshow because as he's going down some of the some of the stuff that he's done, I mean we've talked about it recently. His tour that he's done the last couple of years with Steve Martin, A Night You'll Forget for the Rest of Your Life. You go down all the movies he's done. Like we have you haven't watched Three Fugitives yet, which is it's it's management's one of her favorite movies. I I think the movie is okay. I don't think it's as great as she does. I will say the first ten minutes of the movie Three Fugitives from the mid eighties with him and Nick Nolte, I'm hard pressed to think of a funnier five to ten minutes of Martin Short on film. And and I and I, that is saying a lot. And then he was talking about SCTV and how Conan's like yeah, that was always my inspiration. But the the best part about the the thing with Conan is uh, they were making some joke back and forth, and Conan's like, you know, jokingly saying to himself, "You'll never work in this city again." Well, they've tried seventeen times, and each time I come back in a smaller format, <laughs> and, then, and, he, and then everyone's laughing. He goes, "And that's funny because it's true." Because I remember when he remember when he lost the Tonight Show. Oh yeah, did he? And he um, he he went to Twitter, and he I think that was his first tweet. I had a network show. Now I have Twitter. <laughs> you know, and at the time it was 140 characters, and yes, uh, there were less Nazis on there. A lot it was a less. Simpler time. Simple, but yeah. So so the Conan O'Brien needs a friend, and Dave Hill's history is fluffer. Okay. You gotta check out. I will definitely put it on my maybe list. Um, you're not leaving the house this weekend, but if you were, there's a lot of new movies out. Big mo- movie week. Big movie. Are you? Uh, were you a Men in Black guy? Uh, nah, I, I kind of I like the first movie. I saw a bit of the second one. I kind of fell off. Not a big Men in Black guy though. Yeah, I. It, that's one of those ones you'd think I'd be all over, but I never really was a huge. I didn't see him in the theater. I didn't see him till years later. Right. I'm sorry. <laughs> Excuse me. All right. What was that? But uh, but yeah. But now it's interesting because you know uh, Chris Helmsworth, and I do not know the woman's name because, of course, like you already said, racist. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Uh, oh my god. It's really I know her and love her here. as Valkyrie from Endgame, but she first appeared in Thor, Thor. Ragnarok, yeah. in which she was great. So they're they're starring in that. You know, I, I think I'll wait for that to come out. I'm not sure if Shaft is something I'm going to make an effort to see in the now, theater. Now, which Shaft are you talking about? Because there's three Shafts now. Oh, are there really? So there's the original Shaft. Okay. Then uh, the Samuel L. Jackson Shaft from you know the early 2000s called Shaft. And now here's this one where it's about, I think, uh, John Shaft's like, grandson or you know the original Shaft's grandson. Named Shaft. And who stars in it? Uh, Samuel L. Jackson is in the... Yeah, I don't know, but I think it's... Was it Michael B. Jordan or Chadwick Boseman? Or, <laughs> oh, because the only I trailer I saw had... Samuel L. Jackson. Had Samuel L. Jackson. Yeah, but, so maybe it's a lesser-known actor playing the young Shaft. But yeah, so this is the third Shaft in the Shaft trilogy, but they're all named Shaft. Yeah, not confusing at all. Nope. Uh, and uh, let's see, Dark Phoenix has come out, and I'm not... Rave reviews, I heard. Yeah. Seriously, I think it's, and you can't go by like the Rotten Tomatoes, but it is. It's like, it's, you can go by Rotten Tomatoes. You can go by Rotten Tomatoes, but sometimes, like, there's been some things that, like, critics hate. You know, like, you look at something like Step Brothers gets like a four from Rotten Tomatoes critics, but yet 
it's the fan. There's the two polls. There's the critic polls, and then there's well, the fan the audience score that they audience put. score. Mm-hmm. And and yeah, but um, usually the audience scores are like ninety eight percent, and it's you know so it's, it's, it's not right. It's like you know problem child four. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> really? But they uh, uh so yeah. So there's big uh, movies this weekend: Shaft, Melon Black, Dark Phoenix, and anything else? Uh, well, Endgame is just a few million. Like it's only like fifty million away from passing Avatar. So I I might like, give him a few more dollars. Uh, Detective Pikachu became the biggest video game adaptation movie. Oh, and uh, beat out Resident Evil. It's you know it, none of the Resident Evils have ever done huge, right? But the whole canon, I'm quite sure. You yeah, know, but, they've like seven movies or something. But this with this, I mean Ryan Reynolds. There's not a lot of bigger guys, you know. And they've done it well. Like it's not like that's not. Pokemon. It's like, oh no, that's Pokemon in kind of what. Did, did you see it? No, I saw the trailers. I, it's, I, I'll probably yeah. see it. I mean, you know, when it comes out on digital and then like four months later, like Canada. <laughs> I think I'm going to move. I'm going to be like the Canada of watching that. What movie. was the number one movie in Canada? When <laughs> <laughs> it was number one in the Who knows? But six weeks later, it was Detective Pikachu. So, um, so that's happening in movies. I don't know. Do you want to talk about the the next game shows? The, ah, that That's thing. the big thing. This, yeah. this this was a horrible week for 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 me. Big week in Joe's world. Big week only because ABC apparently really likes game shows a lot, especially during the summer. So since what three years ago or two years ago when they brought back Match Game and hundred thousand dollar pyramid, which we talked about on our game show sideshow with our friend Rodney. Sideshows, plural. Yes, right. It couldn't can be contained into just one sideshow. The modus operandi is that every summer ABC would fill the void of re- where they would normally have reruns and competition shows or whatever with game shows. The game shows that you find on Buzzer, which is all the Fremantle-owned game shows, which nobody knows what the fuck I'm talking about. Like those old game shows like Family Feud, Match Game, Press Your Luck, Card Sharks. All those old game shows are now new game shows because Card Sharks premiered this week with host Joel McHale. Very good, I think. Huge Joel McHale fan. Yes, and I think you'll like it. He doesn't get in the way of the game. He's snarky, but he moves the game along. If you're not familiar with the format of Card Sharks, two contestants, uh, they have this row of 10 cards each that they have to guess whether each is going to be higher or lower than the last. And the way they get control is that they answer questions that are like usually like percentages, like what percentage of uh, women think that Jacques a pervert? And you'd guess 100, and they'd be like, no contest, and you'd get control of the board. Whoever gets to the end first goes to the bonus round. You take the $10,000 you win in the front game, and you use that as betting money, and it's seven cards where you're basically doing the same thing, higher or lower, but each card you're betting using oversized poker chips or oversized betting chips that are in denominations of 1,000 or 5,000, depending on how much you have. And that's kind of clunky. Like, instead of just saying a number, I'm going to bet 9,000, the next one's going to be higher, you have to physically take the $5,000 chip and four $1,000 chips and put them on the higher part of the table in front of you. So that's a bit goofy, and it adds an element of visuality that's nice, but at the same time, it slows the game down. The personalities are great, and it's uh, it's fun. Joel McHale's fun. Now, the crown jewel of the new lineup is none other than the revival of Press Your Luck with Elizabeth Banks. That is fan-fucking-tastic. 
Very flashy set. It's essentially the exact same format and style of the old Pressure Luck, but with flashier graphics, flashier set. They still have like the, the three people who sit in front of their buzzers, and then when they finish their questions, they turn everything around. Like They turn the big seats around, and they face the big board. So it's just like the old show. The music's very similar to the old show, except a little revamped. And the whammy animations are as like you know microsoft paint as the original ones so they're not it's not like it's campy it's right exactly so it looks like it's done in the 80s style which some people online didn't like but i i loved i was like oh good they got the tone of it right because you don't want like these super flashy slick whammy graphics on a fucking 80s revival game show it's just like yeah you know we let's let's call it what it is it's an 80s nostalgia show now, I, I see the VCR is plugged in here. Were you recording Pressure Luck to study the board so that when you get on, you're going to know the seven different patterns that they have? Right, because computers nowadays can only handle seven patterns. Right. That's, well, we, no, they actually use 80s computers on this. <laughs> yeah, there's a, a, an original Macintosh that runs the entire board. So, no, it, it's it's the same setup, but it's all you know, like LED graphics, and it's great. The there it's an hour long show. Both are, both shows are an hour oh, long. So it's a two hour block. Yeah. So card shark happiness. Right. So card sharks is two half hour games, which is fine because I mean you don't really need an hour long of card sharks. It's, card sharks is really simple. Pressure luck is simple, but there's you know moving parts and varying degrees of stress involved and strategies. So the first half of the game, or the first part of the game, is like the 80s game show. You have the three contestants, they play two rounds of spinning, and whoever wins at the end of the game goes on to a bonus round, like a brand new bonus round, where you it's almost like a little deal or no deal. So the winner from the first game plays against the house. They play the board on their own. Their first round, they play like seven rounds, where each round, the Big money amount goes from like ten thousand to fifteen to twenty five to hundred thousand, whatever. The goal is that if they can run the gamut without whammying out by getting four whammies, and if they can build up their bank to five hundred thousand dollars, then they'll stop the game and give them a million bucks, which is fantastic. But there's a lot of incentives to not go all the way. First, they bring on a family member or friend. They give you a little sh- a time to give your spiel about like what you would do with the money, and it's like oh we'd go on a trip to Paris, you know, or my wife and I just had a baby, and you know we'd l- really like to save. A- yeah, right. <laughs> you depends on what state, right? Sorry, Tennessee. Uh, <laughs> never mind. Nobody gets that reference. Nobody gets sorry, Tennessee. Um, the first round, you start off with six spins. And they throw in, like, a prize that's tailor-made to you. So, like, if you say you want to, you know, like, this legitimately happened on the game show. Like, a guy was a Michael Bolton fan. He celebrates the man's entire catalog. What's your favorite song? (laughs) Right. I tapped all of them. So, one of the prizes was you get to go on an East Coast tour with Michael Bolton. Like, you tour in a tour bus and you follow him to, like, ten different cities or six different cities. And that's one of the prizes. And so, it's like, okay... So the prizes aren't just like, you know, you win a free oven mitt, you know. (laughs) You actually get prizes where, hmm, now if I go to the next round and whammy it, I'm going to lose that fucking awesome prize I just won. Now, do I really want to do that? And so 
it really tugs on you know people's emotions, which is a great little added incentive. So it's nobody in the past two episodes there hasn't been anybody that have gone to like even close to five hundred thousand dollars. But um, it's interesting. I think it's fun. I think it's great. Elizabeth Banks is you know very good as a host. You know she's funny, but she doesn't take over the game. You know it. Uh, she's not as snarky as Joel McHale. Very few are, <laughs> but of course, both of them are executive producers of each other's uh, each their of their own shows. So you know they have, they're not just phoning it in like they have vested interests. So, uh, but yeah, so we have card shark match game. Pressure luck. I'm I'm waiting for Scrabble. Somebody bring <laughs> like Rodney mentioned that on the podcast that we did with him that Scrabble needs to come back, which won't come back because it's there's a whole rights issue. Not a Fremantle show, right? And Chuck Woolery, you know. I think we you know he, he, they went full full Chuck Woolery, and you the, never that, go full that, Chuck that Woolery. FBI, you know, was he FBI or CIA? No, the, no, no, no. You're thinking of Chuck Barris. Barry, right, right. Chuck okay, Woolery Chuck is Woolery. the racist guy on Twitter now. Remember you know, the Love Connection guy? Love Connection, yeah. Uh, back in two and two, after I go kill some darkies, you know, <laughs> he doesn't know. kill darkies. <laughs> Has him killed. Anyways, um, <laughs> it's funny the Joe McHale thing. I always think about this when I think of Joe McHale because you know I always think about these things. There was an episode of uh, Community, his show Community, where his shirt gets ripped off, and it was truly a Ned Flanders moment, where unexpectedly, he is fucking ripped. Like, he could be in the Avengers kind of, like, you know, ripped, but he always wears really nice suits, and you can never, like, he just doesn't present as somebody who... Yeah, he doesn't wear the Simon Cowell titty shirt. Right, right. But but seriously, every time I think about that, I think about that Ned Flanders moment where you're like, damn, man. Or Willie. Like, Willie. Oh, yeah. Uh, Willie, Groundskeeper no, Willie. Groundskeeper Willie. Another guy where he's ripped off his shirt, and all of a sudden, he's just jacked, ripped like Jesus. You see, you talking about this makes me think of the part of The Simpsons where Homer can't get Ned's ass out of his mind. <laughs> Feels like you're wearing nothing at all. Nothing at all. Nothing at all. Now, let's get into the John Stewart. So, John Stewart, um, you know, retires... God, it's a while ago now. Five years? Well, did he retire after Letterman? Letterman retired in 15. Did he retire? Yeah, he retired before the, the election. So, yeah, right around the same time. Right, right. Yeah. Right when we needed him the most. Yes. Well, his remember his final speech was like basically how to sniff out bullshit and don't let bullshit happen. You know, when you see bullshit, say something. And, and uh, how did that work out for us? And from day one... I mean, he really retired. I mean, he, he, you know, a lot of people say, oh, I want to spend more time with the family. And, you know, Letterman's sort of back, but Letterman pretty much dropped off the grid, as did John Stewart for a little while. John Stewart has resurfaced a few times over the last couple years uh, with all the strife and things we would like to see his take on and like him to be involved in and put his funny spin on. The one project that he pops up on a major level uh, a few times is uh, fighting for the first responders of 9-11. And again, this week, he was back you know, talking to Congress, where he was uh, a, a year or so ago when, when he was just trying, you know, basically, do you remember, was it a bill that had died that he was trying to keep going? Well, it's the Victims' Compensation Fund, which, since 9-11, they established this fund that was supposed to treat first responders for medical conditions that 
they saw cropping up in coincidentally these first responders like oh wow everybody that went to 9-11 to ground zero five years later they're getting cancer so maybe we should uh pay for that because you know they attacked the united states and it's part of an act of war and you know maybe we do them a solid as the united states government but the bill would always be attached it'd be used as a political football as john stewart said correctly speech that it would be attached to other bills that you know, senators and Congress people. We have to help these people, and we need a new bridge in my town. Right. So, but it would always be up for renewal, like a fucking lease. We'll give them five years of compensation or ten years, and then we have to. You'll have to like, like somebody fighting for like Yoko Ono appearing every five years or ten years at the parole hearing for Mark David Chapman, and it's just like you know. We can't just put him away for life. Like, we have to have her come back right. and have to, like, state the Re-testify, case. Retestify. Yeah, right. right. And what is your side of the story? Oh, your husband's still dead? Okay. Right. So that's the same thing. And John Stewart got heavily involved with being the, the spokesperson for first responders who are now having to decide whether or not they can afford to get their 69th chemo treatment or, I, their, or keep their house. I remember... The last time he made the rounds with this, he showed up at senators' offices and sometimes sat there all day. I mean, all day. And he knew the senators were in the office and wouldn't see him. And he would sit in the hallway. And that's the thing. It's like, are you really going to call the Capitol Police and have Jon Stewart handcuffed and dragged out of there and handcuffed these first responders. And he had, you know, the little laptop ready to go where these senators had run on things like fighting for it. You know, you know, some people who made it their platform, like these are the people who ran towards the towers while everybody was running away from the towers. These are the people we have to protect. These are the heroes. Well, you just voted against it last week, but yet six months ago, you had these two guys up on stage with you, and we just want to talk about what's happened in those six months because they still have their cancer. They still ran towards the building those days. So could you help us understand? And and his sarcastic, but really biting, but he had the footage there of Senator A or Senator B or Senator C talking. So this week... Lo and behold, it's up for debate again. Yeah, there was a House, was it a sub-judiciary committee or a sub-panel or something like that. And yes, time's running out on the VCF. And he did a very impassioned nine-minute speech, very Jimmy Stewart-ish. <laughs> you know, he took the John out of his name and put Jimmy in there for nine minutes and had a very emotional speech. If Obviously, everybody knows what I'm talking about because literally everybody in America probably watched this fucking thing. No, no, because... Yes! No, here it is. Um, Wednesday, Wednesday, Joe went to my parents' house to watch a program together. Ah. When, uh, that program wound up very disappointing. But before that program went on, when we walked in my house... Do you want to tell the folks what my dad, my 80-year-old white dad, was sitting downstairs watching on the big screen TV? Uh, I don't know. I mean, it was pretty raunchy. <laughs> I mean, Fox, Fox News. News right? yeah. Do you think Fox News was covering the 
John Stewart thing and 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 showing the whole nine minutes and talking about what a hero he is fighting for the hero. So do you think they were look at this whiny Jew snowflake? Maybe they didn't say Jew. Uh, see, this is the thing about the VCF is that who is against it? Even if you are Fox News, how do you not? want to hold your even your Republican congressman accountable. I guess maybe because no Republican congressman showed up at the sub-panel. You think so? Yeah, that's the whole thing. I mean, how, how can you vote against anything this simple, but yet it gets voted against? It's the same joke. Well, I mean... It, I mean, I won't even ask the hypothetical rhetorical question, but every time there's a natural disaster, be it in Florida, be it in Puerto Rico, be it in Texas... Puerto Rico's on America, so whatever. Right. So there you go. You know, let's just throw paper towels at them. Be it be it Hurricane Sandy in New York. When you hear about senators holding up the bill and not agreeing to pay this emergency fund, is it and I mean this, is it ever a Democrat, you know, from California saying, Fuck those people in Texas. I'm not going to vote for them. No, it's always the same scumbags who you know, uh, the Freedom Caucus, you know, who who truly believe government should be on a postage stamp. And you know what? If you didn't tax people, if people weren't burdened by paying for this administration and that administration and this, then they would take that money and give it to charities that would support the guys. That Those are the arguments they actually make. But they don't even show up because they know somebody like John Stewart, who's done his homework, is going to sit there and say, you know, you know, Senator Chucklefuck from you know Utah. You said this when you campaigned four years ago. You voted against this twice. Can you look at these people's children who are dying, whose father's dying because he ran to the building on nine eleven, and explain to them why? Like you said, they have to make the choice: continue chemo or lose their house. Can you can you explain this to? They don't show up, right? And then the other point that John Stewart made during his speech was that how. On a you know on an overall scale, how the Congress would diminish the importance of the federal government having to fund the the VCF. Oh well, we, they, at first they were told uh, that they weren't sick; they were crazy. And then when the science came out that they were sick, okay, but it's not from the pile. And when the overwhelming scientific evidence said that yes, the cancer that they're getting is from the pile. They were told, well, it's a New York issue. I don't remember. Right, because the Taliban attacked New York, not the United States of America. But that's what Jon Stewart said. He's like, Al-Qaeda didn't say death to Tribeca. (laughs) And, uh, I mean, that laughter that you have right now is three million times more than the laughter that he got in... Right, the, it's not funny because it's not funny. It's it's very poignant, and he was crying. He was holding back tears. How fucking ridiculous is this conversation? Very ridiculous that we're even having this. I, I don't know. I I I, I I I I don't get it. I mean, I mean, honestly, I can't imagine anywhere else. And again, I mean, if it's not people, and truly, this again, this is not hyperbole. Yes, his opinion is completely slanted. He manipulates the facts to make his story. But when somebody like Michael Moore 
has to put these guys on a plane and take them to Cuba to get treatments that they can't get in the United States. And you and you don't say, well, what the fuck is wrong with us that these guys, the, the heroes are the heroes. That term gets banded around way too fucking much. It, it, it really gets banded around way too fucking much. Right. Um, the whole support our Except troops. with the mighty heroes. Right. <laughs> um, you got a rope man. Rope man. Diaper man and cuckoo and, and cuckoo. Uh, cuckoo. Uh, dude, now that now the opening credits for that. Ding a 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 ding. Ah, you suck. So I know, but strong man. But seriously, they, you know, you don't see the Dennis Millers going out there, the conservative like comedians or personalities like a Michael Moore, like a John Stewart and stuff. And again, this isn't new for John Stewart. This isn't he's jumping on the bandwagon. Since day one, he's taken whatever platform he's had available to him and has fought like tooth and nail. And thank fucking God for people like seriously, like a Sarah Silverman, like a John Stewart, who are really well spoken, who are really smart, who are on the front lines. All right. Let me um let me do a little dictating of the of the rundown from now. Jump right to your favorite press secretary, my favorite press secretary, Sarah Huckleberry Sanders, not going to be working no more. You know, it's interesting because the rumors are she's getting ready for a gubernatorial run in Arkansas. Mm-hmm. Um, fuck her. Just the fucking shit. I don't she, want of those. No. She's gross. I wouldn't even hate fuck her. No. You know, you know what I mean? It's like, but seriously uh it's amazing that she's lasted this long and and the most volatile administration where people have it's been a revolving door since day one and she's always been there like she was behind sean spicer the first umpteen months but she was part of that uh but she's been with him since the campaign and she like the the best part about her leaving and running in arkansas is we won't have to see her face or hear her voice as much going forward, mm-hmm, maybe. But, but, uh, but then, then the other thing is, they're not going to backfill her position. It's just going to be yet another cabinet position or another position, another post in the administration that is not going to be actively filled. Like there's a lot of acting this right. and a lot of acting that. But but like I had said earlier, that's what people like the Freedom Caucus and other people want. They want to not downsize government they truly want to have it be a dismantled i mean like an oligarchy of right sorts. They, seriously and and well or jedi council but without the jedi and then uh and on the other hand so she's on her way out um cunty and conway uh she is staying even though it turns out that basically long story short everybody's hurt this the hatch act you you can and can't do su- certain things when you're part of an administration, which it's so even ridiculous. That's the words were coming out of my mouth. You know uh, the things that you're not supposed to do. But she's broken these laws that she has been you know several times. And where where she went on was a Good Morning America, where she was hawking products by Ivanka Trump's like clothing line. Like she was uh, Ivanka Trump was under some fire from it. She goes on like Good Morning America start. You know, talking it up and how it was always oh, like Macy's or somebody dropped Ivanka's line. And she went on, it wasn't even Fox News, it was like one of the major networks and saying, these are great clothes, this is ridiculous, everybody should go out and buy. You cannot use the office. You for know, personal gain, for, for or, personal gain, or, yeah. and stuff like that, or any uh, any sort of advertisement of something. You know, and and, and it's funny. You know, it's, so of course everybody. You know, the the um, 
The office, I'm sorry, it, it was the office of special counsel. No, not, not, you know, Miller's office, but the same, you know, the same office department that that falls under the jurisdiction has come out and said, she's been warned, she's been warned, she's been warned, she has to go. She has to be sanctioned, she has to go. These are breaking the laws. And of course, the administration said, fuck you, she's going to stay. You know, but this is the same administration. I mean, just this week alone, you know, Blotus. And 2012 bought a house for $7 million in Beverly Hills that last year was assessed at $8 million. And, you know, in, in, in seven years, a Beverly Hills property going from $7 million to $8 million isn't head spinning. The fact that it sold to a no-bid, one person put in an offer for $13.5 million, who is running for the president of Indonesia – uh, it's starting to raise flags because, lo and behold, Donnie Two Scoops hasn't divested from his private businesses. This is a private sale from the Trump Corporation to uh, the possible head of another state running, trying to get favor with him. And the property was sold for over $5 million over what it was estimated top value because Beverly Hills wants to tax you at the top value of it. But but that's the kind of stuff that happens each and every fucking day. And I don't think I realize that uh, Mitch McConnell's wife has been up to a lot of crazy stuff. You know, her, her father's Chinese. And as um, interior well, – well, I'm trying to think of what – it's not treasury. Secretary of interior? Like, 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 no, she is commerce secretary, I believe. Oh. And basically she's been – Making statements the last couple of years to inflate certain stocks that she was supposed to divest out of, that she's been sanctioned for not divesting out of, that she hasn't, that has literally, you know, it's just come out in the past like couple of days, the tens of millions of dollars that she's made from that position, giving jobs to her father's uh, construction company. Those will buy her some pretty fancy lawyers. You know, I mean, no, it, it, there's only lawyers if you get arrested. But what is Mitch These people will pay for their crimes eventually. Yeah, yeah. Eventually, uh, I'm sure. So I did want to talk about it just a couple of things. We're going to go to war with Iraq within oh, the next man. couple of months. Iran. A- a- Iran. And here's the worst fucking thing. Iran's so far away. Nobody. <laughs> now that's going to the right head. But at least you got out the diaper man. Um, so this they they've been pushing the John Boltons have been pushing for a reason to go after Iran for a while, and then lo and behold, two oil tankers happen to get blowed up, you know, or attacked, tor- tor- torpedoed even, and 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 instantly, as soon as I hear this, and there's no evidence to back it up that it was the Iranians. I think remember the main. Do you remember the Spanish? You were what fourteen, fifteen when the Spanish American War came out. Yes. Does anybody remember the war cry, remember the Maine? What had happened is off the coast of Cuba, a U.S. warship, the Maine, was attacked by the Spanish Armada and blown up, and these poor sailors died, and that was the catalyst to go to war, the Spanish-American War. Uh, There was no Spanish ships anywhere near this. It was a fire on the ship, an accident that sank the ship, but, you know— there's no news saying it wasn't. You know, there was no footage showing that Spain didn't blow it up, and that was the catalyst we went to war. And so here it is. You know, I'm not going to do the math, but that was in 19. That was in 1898, and here it is, the same exact fucking thing. And now, well, here we are. I mean, <laughs> there's also another one right. that they used as a catalyst for war. Never forget 9/11. Yeah, remember when Iraq 
uh, flew those planes right into, into the building. The, yes. That right. A thing, and Saddam Hussein was one of the nine. You didn't know he was one of the 19 hijackers, didn't you? He was the 20th hijacker. He was the fifth Beatle as well. <laughs> Very few people know that. No, and then the last awful thing this week is again, you know, Cadet Bonespurs goes on national TV and says, Of course I would take, you know, opposition research from a foreign power. Why wouldn't I? And so. Even across the board, all these Republicans were coming out saying, even 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 Lindsey Graham was saying, well, that's wrong. You shouldn't do that, blah, blah, blah. It's like, you know he did it with Russia, but he didn't know better. They made all these. But now he's openly saying, yes, I would take it. Russia, if you're listening part two, send me what you got. And a lot of people lost their shit. So that was on Tuesday. On Wednesday... A Democratic senator, and it's called like a clean bill, came out. It's like a one-paragraph bill saying, making it crystal clear that there's no more ambiguity. If a foreign power approaches you, whether you're running for dog catcher or president and everything in between, if a foreign power offers you help to win an election, you have to contact the FBI, Republicans voted it down. Like the same Republicans who 24 hours after Blotus went on ABC were saying, that's ridiculous, that's horrible, that's un-American, no country should intervene in our elections, and he shouldn't say that. A clean bill, not one of these, I want to make sure that you report it to the FBI and I need a new highway in my city, appropriate $20 trillion. No, it was just a clean bill that said, we are now going to make it mandatory that if you get approached by a foreign government, that you have to. And the Republicans said, um, no. Well, I think there was also a minor provision in that bill that said that an elephant can pitch. Oh, and that's okay. where, all right. You know, well, see, I didn't read right. the fine print. Yeah, so. so they didn't want that happening. Um, um, There's nothing in the rule books that says <laughs> an elephant can't pitch. But now there is. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, man, um, you know, over the week e3 happened the electronics expo a lot of fun stuff being announced for video games and entertainment one of them being this really cool arcade cabinet put up by a company called arcade one up last year they did like pac-man and street fighter a little three-quarter sized arcade cabinets that are you know in the four hundred dollar range three hundred dollar range depending they're decently made. They're pretty pretty decently made, you know. I wouldn't, you know, lean on it too hard. I wouldn't get too much Cheeto dust on it. But they're pretty cool. But there's a Star Wars cabinet coming out with Star Wars Arcade, Empire Strikes Back Arcade, and Return of the Jedi Arcade. And it has the yoke control, you know, with the trigger buttons. Yeah, like the old school, not just like a, you know, Pac-Man joystick. Uh, that is going for a cool, like, 500 with the the stand because you can buy them like four feet tall but you're kind of hunched over if you're playing it but then you can also buy like a cool box to put the arcade cabinet on top of to elevate it to a, a standard arcade height so all told that's five hundred dollars the reason why i'm bringing all this up we need some fucking money to buy that arcade cabinet in the fall when it comes out right in time for christmas and put it in our studio here our illustrious subterranean studio in an undisclosed location in Arlington. But to do that, we need money from certain sponsors. Not just any sponsors, but defunct sponsors. <laughs> like this defunct sponsor of the week. 
We're the lifeline of your business day. We let them know that you're okay. We're working hard in every way to make your calls go through. And every time you make a call, we're the ones who do it all more than sending your voice. part of your business too yes or no if if we can raise the funds through the easter funk sponsors do we put it to the left or the right of the mini fridge we're we're down here that is actually in lieu of the mini fridge (laughs) uh so uh absolutely nothing happened in sport so we can just skip over that and i think we can skip sport until uh september 8th 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time uh, when the NFL season starts. It actually starts three days before Green Bay Packers playing the Chicago Bears to commemorate the start of the 100th NFL Where season. Where do they play it this season? On the fucking moon? Well, like, well, I think so. Yeah. like It's usually, is it like the Antarctic? Is it... Uh, Close know, to the Antarctic. The Papua New Guinea. Green Bay, Wisconsin. So, oh, okay. So to commemorate the 100th year, they're like, okay, we're oh. going to have the Bears play the Packers on Thursday night football start the season, and then the Patriots will start on Sunday. So... The frozen tundra. Let's not talk sport. Okay. Until... Unless we want to talk about the women's soccer team that won 13 to nothing against Thailand. And, dude, it's like, yeah. What? You, you, you can't do anything about it. It's like, time out. First of all, how ironic that they beat by 13 goals a country named Thailand. <laughs> Shut up. Well, you've played sports your whole life as well. Yeah. I've been on both sides of those where you've played teams that shouldn't be in your division that just killed you. And it's been the other way around. And yes, it's more fun to be on the ass-kicking side, but you can't stop playing. It's actually more humiliating if the other team can score, let's say, 15 goals and just took it easy. Like, like, like. Anyways, that's it for sport. Moving on to Woo. the much more important things, which would bring us to... Video games. Wait, more video games? Yeah, oh, well, yeah, yeah. we don't have to do... We no, we didn't really talk a lot of video games. But uh, we, we, you and I talked the other day. The new Avenger Endgame game is coming out, and uh, it's getting the same reviews that Dark Phoenix, the X-Men movie. That's so good. I think it pales in comparison, I think, to the Marvel Spider-Man game, which is phenomenal. Have you played much of Spider... Why aren't you playing Marvel Spider-Man? Um, Why? I mean, Resident. You've one hundred and five percent Resident Evil two. Well, you'd be happy to know I have since coming back from Phoenix. I played Resident Evil just literally a couple times. Just had a couple hours to kill, threw it on, and you know went through the game. But the other day, I started playing. You'd be happy to hear Resident Evil five on the PS four. Like I, I, I did. I, I for some reason I'm like you know, the controls are different. I want to see if I'm still as good. And it took like a couple rounds to really get it going. And then I'm like. Yeah, I'm I'm pathetically awesome at this, and nobody fifty should be this good at any game ever. So you drive. So basically, your video games to you are uh, Galaga, mm-hmm. Resident Evil, whatever, mm-hmm. and Batman, whatever. Yeah. Okay. Well, so no, no, no Marvel Spider Man. That's for nerds. And but babies. I know. But I watched you play, and it was great. And I watched my little guy play, it, and it's great. It literally looks like a great game. All right. You know. Yeah. Um, I guess you don't want to be cool. That's all. <laughs> Could I? <laughs> I mean, is it but so, so the Avenger game, yeah, I guess the biggest knocks on it are some of the characters, especially the one that I've seen like the stills of is the Black Widow. 
and and it does. Oh, I, I said who um, Farquaad, like side by side, like the same jawline and stuff like that looks cow- more like Farquaad from from Shrek. Uh, I, I really, I, honestly, I didn't see much of the Avengers trailer. Um, I saw uh, speaking about E three. I did see more video game footage, gameplay footage of Doom Eternal, which is the sequel to the awesome Doom game that came out for the PS4 a couple of years ago, which I think your little one has played. Yeah. Um, and rated M game where you, you know, rip the hearts out of uh, Hellions and then stomp on their heads. I'd say don't judge me, but you are well within your right. <laughs> you and everybody I, else. I couldn't. I, your, your kid I think was, it was like eight. Was no, he no. He's, he's almost 12 now, but that uh-huh. was like... It was about three years ago. Yeah. So when he was eight. Oh, my God. Yeah. Right. When you do the math, it's like, is Chuck the worst parent I know? No. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty, yeah. Circling, yeah. Um, circling right in. Uh, right. So uh, there's a Doom Eternal that's coming out this fall. I forget. I I, I wasn't a Doom guy, but I was happy um, to let my then eight-year-old know what the BFG was. Hmm. He just was excited. When I got the BFG, and then when I told him what it meant, he thought I was kidding. And then I showed him an interview with The Rock on Jon Stewart, because Jon Stewart was very excited, because Jon Stewart was a big Doom guy when The Rock came on, and brought the BFG with him from the movie. And it is about three times the size of Jon Stewart. (laughs) (laughs) He literally, it was one of those things where The Rock hands it over with like one hand, and Jon Stewart takes it with both and like almost drops it. So. so there's Doom. Nintendo uh, had a lot of nice things to say during E3. The Switch is getting a new Luigi's Mansion game, which is an offshoot of the Super Mario series, <clears throat> where you play as Luigi. And you can also play multiplayer in the new Luigi's Mansion 3. You're basically a Ghostbuster. Luigi's a Ghostbuster in these games. And uh, in the third game, I guess you can play as Gooigi, which is like a ghost version, like a Slimer from the Ghostbusters version of Luigi. And he can, you know, you can control him to go through like bars and stuff like that. And it's, it's cute. So there's that. There's a new Zelda game that's coming out. It's a remake of a original Game Boy game called Link's Awakening. And... People are losing their shit over it because it looks gorgeous, and it's uh, it's basically the same exact game, but with souped-up graphics, and it's and it's made for a generation that doesn't have an emulator and doesn't have a Game Boy from 1991. So that's exciting. There's also, uh, uh, you know, the the Breath of the Wild game that came out for the Legend of Zelda on the Switch. Anyways, there's a new one in production that's coming out in a couple of years. They haven't given a date for that. There's a new Super Mario Maker game where you can make uh, Mario levels from the Super Mario Brothers, and that's fun. Uh, There's more Resident Evil games coming out for the Switch. There's Resident Evil 5 and 6 coming out for the Switch, which you don't give a shit about because the Switch are for kids. Sorry, Rabbit. Switch are for kids. And um, Yeah, I don't... I don't think I've actually played anything on this. Those controllers are just too. They're, bad. they're pretty bad. Yeah, I mean they're 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 not the worst thing in the world, but they're pr- they, they they can get pretty shaky. But there's a yeah. So Nintendo shown at the E3. So I'm sure there's a lot of fun stuff to look forward to. So you've only played a little bit of Resident Evil Five this week. I, literally since coming back from Phoenix, sadly, haven't had a shitload of time to play game. Well, first of all. 
we moved the games, the boys' game systems downstairs, and I'm just, huh, I'm just too lazy to go down another flight of steps. Good. You know, to do it. So that's why I've been, you know, catching up more on uh, more documentaries and stuff like that. Which uh, we'll get to, I guess, in a minute. So, I mean, and jamming more, you know, getting ready for the big show. Yes. Sally O'Brien's June 21st in Somerville. Looking forward to it, you know, because I, uh, not so much I'm worried about, like, you know, letting Dan down or the professor down, but Dave Marabella sitting in with us, so I got to get my shit together. Don't embarrass me in front of Dave. <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, but but stick on games for a second. Uh, is is there? I've I've heard a rumor. It's only a rumor. Is a PS Five in the works? Yes. What what is the timeline for that? I don't know. I think maybe within about two or about two years ish. Oh, but it's not a this Christmas type thing. No, no, they they wouldn't. They, there was no actual PS. I don't think there was much PS Five talk during E three. Because it's it's still kind of in the mid development stages. Yeah, it's not super long away, but it's like the next couple of years. So it's mid June now. At what point do you start thinking, okay, this is coming out, but you know, Christmas? I mean, is it way too far? I mean, when 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 are your Dream Squashers birthdays? Oh, uh, around Christmas, like a month before and a month after. Okay, so something comes out now. Are you are you Thinking because I did not know, and I, I still don't know what platform it is, but I saw uh, Brie Larson on on Fallon doing this lightsaber game, this virtual reality lightsaber game, and I don't know if you've seen that. It could Dude, be right. I don't know. It could it, be Sony VR. Fucking awesome! And I was looking at that, thinking, oh man. You know, wife doesn't want to get you know VR, which is kind of funny because I've seen that meme. You know, parents are like in the fifties telling kids not to sit too close to the television because they're going to go blind. Cut to the panel of the VR right in your face, um, and I'm thinking, oh god, I actually, I actually was like, fuck, I would love that. Um, we we kind of teased about that last Christmas when you. I was like, because they have a Batman VR game, they do have they're coming out with a, a, a Star Wars VR game. VR is the next level of video gaming. At least, I don't know. I don't know how integrated. I don't know if it's going to be Ready Player One technology where like everybody's doing VR and that's the way to play video games. But that's like the next logical step in gaming right now. You know, it the motion controls in like the early two thousands with the Wii and the and the Kinect and everything that was all gimmicky, but it wasn't very super intuitive. But it kind of bridged the gap between casual gamers and hardcore gamers. It brought more people into gaming. My mom went out and bought it. Yeah. So VR, you do have older people. Like you do have people in their in their late fifties and sixties playing VR games that aren't like you know Resident Evil VR, but they're a little bit more casual VR. So that's the thing. It's like at what point do you start saying, "Well, I'm going to drop." 500 750 on games gaming stuff and, and from from mid November on you know between the two of them and myself <laughs> and uh and then of course you know the huge money I drop on you with video games when I'm at Savers and I see an old <laughs> cartridge for $3 that's, that's worth 10 it's what right I don't want to lose money on the deal <laughs> uh, when do I start thinking about Christmas I don't know the same I think 
dude, I go through life with no plan. Zero plan. You think I have savings for anything? You think my kids are going to college? I don't think so. <laughs> Do you think they're getting a Christmas present? Probably. I'll think about that after Thanksgiving. <laughs> okay. Well, that's just the kind of stuff because, like, major, like, because I do. I start thinking about that. It's like every time, you know, just just today they wanted to go into GameStop. It's like, oh, it's sixty bucks walking through the door. It, it's like it's like a cover charge. You know what I mean? It's like it's like going to a, to a nightclub. It's like yeah, I have to pay to get in this place. You know? Uh, I, I don't know. Hopefully, you just uh, avoid GameStop. How about that? How about not going there? You know, but but like the big purchases. That's why I was like, all right. If a PS Five is on the horizon, yeah. But- I, no, I think we're solid. If you have a PS, the thing is about the VR. You can do it on a PS4 original. It's preferred, and it runs smoother, and it's probably less nauseating if you run it on a PS4 Pro because the frame rate's higher, and it's just better. It's smoother. I think we have, but I'm not sure. The PS4 Pro came out about a year or two ago, and so, I mean, you know, I have the PS4 original. I don't have the Pro. The Pro is like 4K ready, that kind of thing. Uh, Do you have a 4K TV? Probably. Yes. Okay. Right, so you know, you're, if you have a PS4 Pro, you know you're one step closer to a, a pure PSVR experience. But then again, yeah, you're buying the games, you're buying the uh, control. I mean, you can use a, a the the joysticks or the controllers that come with it, but there are also motion controls that are better, that yeah. are more expensive, that you have to have to really. That's enjoy. how they get you. Oh. I don't know, but yeah, it's like, right. It's Let's a, go back to that first hit of cocaine. <laughs> Uh, speaking of hits of cocaine, we don't want to let these addicts who are listening to us be deprived of this week's random video game review. Do we? No, we do not. No. So sashay your sweet little thing over there to the video game wall and hit me. No whammies, no whammies. Big bucks. No, no ET, no ET. Stop. And Jacques, this time, did not pull a Nintendo Entertainment System game off the wall. Oh, no. He pulled one of my Sega Genesis games off the wall. Because Jacques knows, finally, he's come, he's come around to the notion that Sega does what Nintendo don't. <laughs> you pulled a game off the wall that it's kind of hard to see, but I think it's an S game. Like a super game. S-word. Uh, is it super? Not stu- it's not Super Street Fighter, is it? It's not Super Monaco GP. I don't know. You, yeah. Oh, that's what it is. Oh, what do you know? Super Monaco GP. This is the Sega Classic version. Basically, it's a re-release of an like an early 1989 Sega Genesis game. It's a racing game, and I think it's a port of a uh, an arcade game because Sega was way into the arcade games. I mean. I'm opening up the case because these. Remember, if you remember the old Sega Genesis games, they came in the the plastic cases, the non-biodegradable plastic cases that were great because they were clamshell and they would protect the game and hold the manuals, and they were the box themselves. So, very often, if you're looking for Sega Genesis games out there, you will most likely find them in the case because kids didn't throw them away. So. Uh, this is a racing game that is your standard kind of like pole position-y type of game. You're in the driver's seat of a, uh, you know, uh, uh, like a, an Indy car. What do you call it? Is it not an Indy car? 
I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. I don't know anything about sports, driving, uh, cars. Have you played this? Have I driven a Ford lately? No. <laughs> have I uh, Have I played Super Mario GP? Uh, I think if you've played any in one of these types of games, you've played them all. I, I'm sure these are like Formula One cars. That's what I was looking for. These are like these these Formula One cars. Uh, I'm just looking at the inserts because this thing has a shitload of inserts. It's not just like the cheesy manual. I mean, you the manual. Have them all too. Yeah, like the manual. This thing comes with a, a catalog of uh, Sega Game Gear games. Get a grip! And Sonic is holding a Sega Game Gear, and it and it folds. Let me look at this real real quick. It, this thing folds out to like a big poster size thing that uh, it, it previews all the games that you can get for the the Sega Game Gear, which was the if you don't know what the Sega Game Gear was, oh, it's not a picture worthy. Put your no, fucking I wanna, camera. I want to I want to take a picture of what folds. Is it a centerfold? A Sonic naked? Oh, hey, oh wow! Look at that. Look at this handsome young fella. It's uh, on one side. It's a Sega Game Gear ad, and on the other side, it's a full color poster for Batman Returns, the Sega Game Gear game with Michael Keaton as Batman. So maybe this will be your present. This is your your Father's Day slash birthday present. Oh my God! We almost forgot that it's Father's Day this weekend. It, or was it was yes? How was your <laughs> Father's Day, Joe? I don't know. Uh, but this is uh, yeah. The Sega Game Gear was Sega's answer to the Game Boy. It was full color, but the the games were good, okay-ish, but the battery life weren't, wasn't as uh, long-lasting as the Game Gear. The games weren't as addictive as the Game Boy and or as accessible as the Game Boy games were. But, uh, yeah, so what else comes in? I want to... Let's go through the... Yeah, that's a full... That's a full, like. It, and more Batman stuff in there, but there's like yeah, there's the another for that game. There's another like leaflet in here for Batman Returns. Either that or they were just hawking the shit out of fucking Batman Returns. Oh, this is for the Sega Genesis and the Sega CD. Oh yeah, so this is just another ad. Yeah, well, let me see. Oh, if, let me see how this thing another big fold out. Yeah, here we go. Another fold out. What's on this? Oh, look at that. I'm gonna hang these up. It's a Sonic the Hedgehog two poster. Uh, the last, so the last one I said, is it a centerfold of Sonic? Because that's what I associate Sega with. That yeah. It was Batman. This time it is. Uh, it's see. a Sonic two Game Gear poster. See now, I'm a little disappointed that it's Sonic two, but yet does not say Electric Boogaloo. Because I think <laughs> everything that has a two I next know. to it the, legally, yes, as a hack comedian, you have to <laughs> <laughs> say that. And then there's other bullshit in here. Joe Montana won football. Wow. An ad for that. The Joe Montana football is a great game. Joe Montana's play action football. I think it was, is that what it's called? Maybe it was just Joe Montana football. They had um, speech. It had like play-by-play. No. So, was it know, one of the first ones? One of the first ones with play-by-play. Okay. It was pretty fucking awesome. I mean, growing up, you know, with, you know, Tecmo Bowl, which was good. But then like you're playing like as Joe Montana and you're hearing like Joe Montana... Back to pass, throws it, complete, first down, you know, that kind of thing. That was pretty awesome to hear coming out of your Sega Genesis. So that was a little boring trip down memory lane. No, that was great. So, I'm, I'm so glad we, of all things that pulled off the shelf, this was a cornucopia of video uh, goodness. Yeah, of nostalgia. And it's, uh, yeah, so Sega Super Mario GP, one player. Uh, I'm going to say that this goes for $2, and that's my final offer. You watching anything? 
they honestly more all in the family and like Good for you yeah i don't know i'm watching i didn't realize that most of the the episodes that are like or the the biggest episodes that i remember are like toward the end of the run like in the eighth season was the the Edith gets attacked episode. Yeah, which we did. We do a whole sideshow about it. Or just no, we did. I think, I think we just mentioned it. And remember that actor never got work again. No, that's not true. Which one am I thinking? Oh, am I thinking the guy from Dudley and the bike shop? Like one of yes, those guys. Yes, Gordon Jump. Yeah, just could not get over. Well, he was the Maytag repairman in commercials, but for the most part, yeah. After that episode where he played the child molester on Different Strokes, it was never the same for him again. But the guy who attacked Edith, like. He knew, oh fuck, when the when the audience, when the yeah. Audience. Well, that's there was an E True Hollywood story where the actor, his name is actually David Dukes, nice name by the way. He was the guy who played the attacker, and he stated that when he locked the door to the house after he was let in, he was posing as a police officer or a detective who was going around investigating these molestations by this weirdo, and then. As he's describing what the guy looks like to Edith, he's describing himself. And then he locks the door and the audience goes, ooh. And you hear like weird chuckling in the background. And it's just like, it's just, it's odd. Uncomfortable laughter. Yeah, it's it's like an uncomfortable or kind of like giddy laughter. Or like, you know, oh, it's a comedy. Like this is going to be weird. Whatever. So then, uh, yeah. But then when he throws her down on on the sofa... And gets on top of her. Then the audience gets really like quiet. And then there are moments when he plays it real n- normal. You know, like he's just like, this is going to happen, lady. You know, where he's, he's, uh, he's just like an average guy. You know, she goes, but I'm married. And he goes, so am I. And it's just like, oh, wait a minute. Yeah, yeah. Like this is like a real. I, I, I don't want to talk about this. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then, but the, I want to get to the crescendo, which everybody knows who's seen the episode. She smells something burning in the kitchen, and she goes over with him to the kitchen because she says, my cake is burning, and she, she pulls the burning cake out of the oven, and it's smoking and everything, and he's like, get rid of it, get rid of it, and like, you know, with a moment's hesitation, she just tosses the cake in the guy's face, and then like knees him in the groin and pushes him out the back door, the kitchen door. The sound that you hear from the audience is a, a sound that was probably never heard in that studio, ever in the history of that, uh, that 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 show, a testament to like this is the eighth season, by the way. Like, so everybody know knows and loves Edith, and uh, the, the I cried. Like I, I watched it like three nights ago, and I was like, wow. I was just weeping, like alone. Uh, thankfully, because I don't want my wife and kids to see me. So that was the eighth season. Yes, her fiftieth birthday. Yes, which would make her your age. Mm-hmm. Uh, when that show started, like if it was eight seasons. Oh, right, right, right. Yes, 42. right. Like at the beginning of the season. Yeah, yeah. Like she yeah. was like forty-two. Yeah. Okay, right. Crazy, right? I know. I mean, he- when I when I saw that cast photo a couple of weeks ago, it's like, you know, Archie Bunker was forty-eight when the show started, <laughs> and he looks twenty years well, old. Carol O'Connor. Carol right. O'Connor. Right. I mean, it's yeah. like. Anyway, where are you watching these? And don't say in the living room. I will punch you in the neck. What? What? Out? What station is this? You know, one of the like the lo-fi channels, like one of those standard definition channels called Not Get. Not me TV. It's in that ilk. It's called Get TV. I don't know if it's on your your thing. Are we still recording? Like, <laughs> are we out? All right, we're wrapping up. Um, I I though this week watched a documentary called Doom 
the untold story of the Robert Corman Fantastic Four. And is it Roger Corman? Roger Corman. Do you know who Roger Corman is? Wasn't he like a bigger producer? King big- of the B-movie. Yes. I mean, if you look it up, and I'm not exaggerating, I'll be stunned if he has any less than 400 movie credits, you know, to his name. And, you know, he was kind of like, you know, Ed Wood on steroids. I mean, he just cranked them out. And it's funny, you know, he, you know, you put out 400 of them and you're going to have a couple hits. He actually had a couple hits here and there uh, throughout his career. But so prolific in a time where, you know, movies were still shot on film. So it wasn't like he could just, you know, with his iPhone and, and you know, and all this stuff make it. So, I mean, he really had to spend some money, but it's amazing the cost cutting he did and the deals he would make. He's still around. He is still around. Yeah. Does it say how many, are you on his IMDb? Yes. How many movies does it have him credited with creating? For producer, he has 415 credits. What did I say off the top of my head? Like I said, he has at least 400, right? Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, his more recent hits are Abduction, Cobra Gator, Death Race 2050, and Sharktopus versus Werewolf. Sharktopus versus Werewolf. Uh, Paul, can I get a little Sharktopus <laughs> versus Werewolf music? Sharktopus with your tentacles. So he's done over 400 movies. He's only made one movie that's never been released. And it was this mid-80s Fantastic Four. And the documentary is spellbinding. I mean, spellbinding. Long story short... The person who owned the rights to Fantastic Four approached him and said, hey, I'm going to put in uh, 750000 This other distributor is going to put in 750000 We have $1.5 million. We want to make this Fantastic Four movie. Now, $1.5 million is nothing to make a superhero movie. However, in, in Roger Corman's world, it was a lot of money. Like everybody from his company – it's like that's three, four times more money than we've ever had for any movie ever. We can definitely do this. And this documentary talks with all the actors, you know, everybody from the editor to the director to the assistant director to the casting guy. Um, there was a journalist who was on set every day for one of the bigger, you know, fan movie fan scenes and stuff like that. And all the people working on it knew it was going to get a theatrical release. Now, Roger Corman was kind of the king of videos. Like when videos came out, the straight to video market, he pretty much pioneered the straight to video market. And so very, very, very few of his things actually saw the big screen. But this is a Marvel production. Now, granted, it's 15 years before Marvel is Marvel. And this is at a time where Marvel had sold off a lot of properties. To sidebar a little bit, Fantastic Four was Stan Lee's favorite property. When Stan Lee moved his way up and finally became helm of Marvel, he was promoted to Captain of the Titanic moments after it hit the iceberg. <laughs> and so Marvel was dying and they had to license off different properties he also created the fantastic four that was his first creation as head of marvel and it kept marvel going for another 10 or 15 years it literally saved it so he's always had a passion now i've known they've made several different fantastic four high budget movies and none of them have done well and some of them have had huge actors in it uh chris um chris evans 
was Johnny Flame in one of the iterations. And I think they've made two different iterations in the past, like, 15 years where they've had sequels. Like, they didn't do well, but well enough where you could get a sequel and maybe they're turning a corner. But it was one of those things where uh, Marvel, again, wasn't Marvel yet. Fantastic Four was one of the properties at one point Marvel had to license out the movie rights to keep float you know it's like we're not going to be able to publish this much comics unless we come up with a million dollars by noon tomorrow so they license out the movie rights the person who approached roger corman had the movie rights the movie had to be in production by the end of the year and this was september october and the only (laughs) person who could legitimately get a movie shot in that time was roger corman So he went to Roger Corman, you know, made the movie, and they talked about everything, how they had to – the the casting processes, the filming, where they came up with the sets, everything. And then, you know, uh, the movie was being shelved, but everybody still wanted to make this movie see the light of day. So the director who went on to do something else, you know, at nights and weekends after they were done editing or using the telecine doing his next project – he would stay there for four or five hours a night. The move, the, the composers who who had legit careers, they were coming in and scoring with real orchestras. Went to Capitol Records, a sixty-person orchestra, scoring the movie. The actors were coming in doing voiceovers, like the guy who played Doom. Um, I forget his first name. I think it's Joseph Culp, Robert Culp's son. They had a couple other actors. Like you know, management was kind of half watching the documentary, and she's like, oh. He was in Last Starfire. He was so they had real actors doing this movie, and it's funny. One of the production assistants, who oh, I guess he described himself as like a low grade hoarder, has kept every notebook and every casting call sheet he's ever worked on. And there were some huge names who came in on audition for this thing. One of the big problems with the Fantastic Four movies is the reason why Elastigirl works and the Incredibles. the Incredibles and Mr. Fantastic. That's a creepy superpower. To be able to shrink your hand under the door and extend like the hand up to unlock it from the other side. I don't care how much CG you have. It just looks fucked up. In a cartoon format, it looks great. It's fine. And when it's done by a teenage girl, less creepy. Less creepy. So what ends up happening... They get the movie done, and but no, the like the distributors are like, yeah, we're not great. I'm glad you're done. Sure, go ahead and go to festivals and do whatever. And they, uh, the actors on their own dime decide, okay, we're gonna get this in theaters and go do speaking. We're going to go to the comic cons now. Granted, again. Comic-Cons 20 years ago were me and you going to see it. You know, like just... uh, The two guys from Saturday Night Live, John (laughs) Lovitz and Tom Hanks. We couldn't get any lower. And our descent continues. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, no, I mean, Comic-Con in San Diego when I got to L.A. was a one-day thing. So they end up getting a world premiere at the Mall of America, which you know of the Mall of America. And they're all going and they're flying out on their own dime. And like Roger Corman's like, well, we don't have any money from the production studio to promote this, but I can give you a thousand stills, you know, for you to sign there. I can give you basically swag to bring. They didn't have money 
to fly the actors out, but they did come up with the money to fly the Doctor Doom suit out in a special case and all this kind of thing. And they all have their tickets. They're all out there. They're all booked. And they get a cease and desist letter from Fox who, like, yeah, we now own this property and and it was one of those things where somebody basically came, like the men in black, you know, came <laughs> and took all the copies of everything. And even the director like snuck like was working at a project over at Fox and he admitted without saying I actually broke in, is like, well, a door was ajar and I walked in, like no copies. Nobody has ever seen this movie. So the actors never even saw the movie. Like the premiere was the first time everybody was going to see it. They get a cease and desist letter. They didn't, Nobody ever knows what happens. Like Roger Corman wouldn't say what happened. Nobody, it's the only film that Roger Corman has produced that's never seen the light of day. The shittiest, shittiest, we have eight cents to make this movie and three days to do it. He found a way to get it done and it got to Blockbuster and the three cent movie made 10 cents and everybody along the way was happy with it. This is the only movie that ever got shelved. And what ended up happening is the guy who owned it knew he had to get it shot because um, Marvel was trying to get it back and Fox was trying to get it back and they were planning on doing a big budget movie with it and they would have to buy him out because the the rights would extend for like another 10 years if he was in production. He would then own the movie rights to the sequel, to the, to, to the project, the franchise, for a franchise for the next 10 years. He didn't even tell Roger Corman this. It was never going to see the light of day. Never going to see the light of day. Now, what ended up happening... Why do I even need to see this documentary now? This is so enthralling. No, it's it's just to hear the whole thing Mm -hmm. by better people. And to, to, to hear the actors talking about the process of, you know... Actual working actors like would leave the set of the sitcom they're now on two years later because the the guy got the VO room for an extra four hours if they could come in and he could redo his lines for Doom and all these other things. Um, but one of the guy, one of the women was at a party and she's like, and somebody recognized her and for like three or four hours because I couldn't tell if he was hitting on me, but like, I know you from somewhere, blah blah blah. And then later up in the party comes up and he called her by a character's name for the movie and he's like, yes. How do you know that? I just watched it. What do you mean you just watched it? Bootleg copy. And I mean, so these bootleg copies started to go out. And and it's funny. So the director was talking and he said, he goes, yeah, I guarantee you. I know what happened. He goes, I used to go and he named the place. I was surprised he didn't say I went to a post house. He went to Lightning Dubs. If anybody has a wormhole they want to climb down, Lightning Dubs was a chain of post houses in Los Angeles that around the mid-2000s got busted because the screeners that would go out every year for the Academy, they did them for 20-plus years. And the tape-ops would always make their own copies and stuff like that. But there was one that was ended up being watermarked. And when somebody made some copies and passed it around to their friend – they figured out exactly what post houses went to. It was the one that was on uh, Buena Vista or Olive Ave and Burbank, and they shut it down. Like Lightning Dubs actually was a big publicly traded company that actually had to close and reformat and reopen under like Lightning Media. Schmightning Dubs. Right, seriously, it was something like, but it, it did. It cost them tens of millions of dollars for making. But here's the director's like, yeah, I guarantee you. 
you know, before they closed everything down, when we went to make a screener for the studio, some tape up in the middle of the night was like, oh man, this is Fantastic Four. I'm going to make a copy for myself. And you can see the quality of the copy. I mean, this is a dub of a dub of a dub of a dub of a dub long before digital. And you could tell, but people are buying them. And it's like, I think it was Robert Culp or, or, or Jonathan Culp was at some signing for some other project. And he walked over and a guy had all these. And look, I've bought tons of bootleg stuff that's never seen the light of day, like, you know, uh, fan made Batman movies or whatever, like the Batman versus Predator versus Aliens that went around like 20 years ago. Um, and, and, and you would see the guy selling or, or all the Bruins fight tapes that we used to buy at like flea Oh, markets. yeah. They would be traded on the same circuits as like baseball cards and. Right. Yeah. And he walked I think, over. I think I saw Gordon Jump's character in one of those <laughs> card shows. He, he ended up saying, oh, my God, blah, blah, blah. And the guy's like, yeah, that's me on the back. And you could see the picture. The guy's like, oh, great. Ten bucks. <laughs> you know I mean? So he bought his own copy. So no, nobody saw it for like 10, 15 years later till it started circulating at card shows and at, at the different comic book conventions and stuff like that. But the, And nobody literally for 20 years knew why it got scrapped. And, and, you know, and the guy who ended up being the bad guy or, the, you know, just the businessman who kept it like, you know, a secret. I think the director said, he goes, well, he really lived by the, if you want to keep a secret, only tell two people. And then kill them both, you know. Um, and so he did. He had to license, like, so Stan Lee and Marvel and Fox had to go through him in order to do the big budgets. And he got a producer credit on the, you know, it was 10 years later when they finally made the Fantastic Four. And it was like a $75, $80 million feature or stuff like that. Hmm. Yeah, so he parlayed his 750,000 and whatever into into that. But it's it's called Doomed, the untold story of the uh Roger Corman uh Fantastic Four. And and I didn't do it justice. It's great. It's really it's uh Amazon Prime. Of course. And now right. follow-up question, have you seen the bootleg Fantastic Four? No, cuz I but I will. I mean, this is something I'm going to by uh, post taste, but it was just last night that I saw this. That's why I'm so excited about it today. Because uh, I haven't been watching any terrestrial TV or listening to radio, and I won't be for three months. A little sidebar. Uh, did you know that the producers of um, a certain Superman movie that you don't like to mention, Superman 4, um, they were in the works to develop a Marvel Spider-Man movie. They were, you know, that was like the next in line like if you know if the spider if superman 4 was going to be a smash hit it was not of course they were well, going to do we don't know that had the ever made superman 4 maybe it would have been a smash <laughs> but where they stopped after 3 we'll never we'll never know we'll, we'll we'll never know right and the stanley cup finals went to game 6 hey! <laughs> Uh, denial ain't just a river in Egypt, is it, folks? But yeah, this this this, this doomed documentary, I put it on par with the death of Superman Lives. Okay, what about Perfect Bid? They price your prices right <laughs> documentary. Oh. <laughs> well, you know, nothing touches that. Of course and, not. You know. Or or Big Bucks, the uh, Press Your Luck scandal. 
Uh, which we've already referenced today. I know. I, I I just want to talk about pressure luck for another hour. And I don't blame you. But that's enough. Let, let's call Rodney. <laughs> Get him over here. Yes. All right. So that's enough yapping out of me. Um, hopefully you enjoyed this hour because I will have edited down our two-hour rant to a tight hour. Good luck. Yeah. But uh, don't forget that this week and on Friday, June 21st, at Sally O'Brien's in Somerville, you can see not only Dave Mirabella and the Rationales, but... You can see Dan Cray and Beyond Id, which consists of our friend Jacques and our sometimes friend Sean. Well, <laughs> always our friend. No, he's always, always our friend. Our, I'm just you know, It's just hard here. to give him a big hug when he doesn't show up. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you can see them uh, Friday, June 21st, Sally O'Brien's in Somerville. Uh, show starts at, I think, 8. And um, a good time will be had by all. Tickets, I'm sure, are available. And what, Ticketmaster? If anybody <laughs> who listens to this podcast wants to be put on the guest list, uh, you can uh, tweet us at, at Carnival Podcast, at the Jacques Four, or at Opti Grabber. Leave me out of this. At, at, no, literally, if anybody wants to go, I'll just put them on the guest list. I mean, it's like anybody plus one you know, wants to go. Um, if, you have to, if you have to suffer through this... <laughs> Does Rodney like... Uh, is he a big Beyond It fan? Because maybe if we can coax him to come out to the uh, I think I think he'll go to all the uh, Worcester shows. But, but yeah, to yeah. get him on a Friday night to battle to go to Slummerville. Uh, you know, probably not. Probably not. But anybody else, that includes you, know, you Stephen Cole. <laughs> um, yeah, come on down. So that's enough talk out of us. Uh, and uh, yeah, enjoy uh, enjoy the rest of your week, everybody. This is Joe and Jacques signing off. Gotta go to the show, baby. Yeah, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. I think I'm having a stroke. I think I think I'm having the first signs of a stroke. Jacques, please call nine one one, and don't forget.
Oh